Hey guys, Justin here. Before you hang up the phone, this is the episode you don't want to listen to, but you need to listen to. This is an episode we had with the financial physio, Will Butler. And for so many of you guys out there, all of us that have the reality of going to school, going to grad school, uh, having loans, and then getting into practice and opening a business, this is the episode you need to listen to. Um, I was so excited to get Will on here. As you'll hear his background, he is a trained physical therapist and now is a financial coach, financial advisor, works in the finance space. The questions that I get often from students, from practicing docs, uh, include ones on how to pay student loans. What happens when I open a business? Should I open a business? What happens at when the forgiveness period? All of these things in our life, in our practice that we try to avoid, but it's the reality. And so when you graduate chiropractic school and you start your life and career, you can't avoid this. And the problem that most have is that they avoid the finances, they avoid the loans, they avoid the debt, they avoid the the interest, they avoid what has to happen when they open a business. And for me, it's always the opposite. Let's talk about the things that frustrate us most. Let's talk about the things that we're most nervous about. Let's talk about the things that give us anxiety so that we can have a plan and help work around and solve it. And for me, it's always about bringing on people, experts in their field that know more about it than I do. So we got questions in our student group last time we ran our Everything You Should Have Learned in Cairo School But Didn't course about student loan repayment plans. And my advice was that I don't know the answer, so find someone that does. So I went out and followed my own advice and and found someone who does. So Will Butler's on the pod. Uh, The nice thing about him, as you'll hear, is he's not just like a a, he doesn't have the brain of like a staff clinician or someone that doesn't get it. He gets it. I think for me, that's the most important part of this is that he understands the reality of not only having the student loans, but also of being a business owner. And so it's not so black and white as, oh yeah, just do this or do that payment repayment plan. It's like, all right, let's consider all of the facts and all of your different options with the idea that we're going to try to create a financial future for ourselves and our families. And so this episode is a little different. It's a little bit of a detour from our normal episodes, but it might be one of the most important ones you listen to, because I think that if we have a good plan around it, it's going to decrease anxiety around all the things that make us nervous um, and an unknown. And with what's happened, you know, in the government and all the changes and the deferrals and the repayment plans, there's a lot of changes that have happened. So we talk about that. And again, it's just about listening to people who are in it and know it more than we do. And Will knows more about this than I do. I think you'll enjoy this episode. Hey, if you're out there, um, and you haven't got on our wait list yet. We have a few spots left on our everything you should have learned about Cairo school, but didn't wait list. Please make sure that you shoot me a message, uh, or fill out the form in the comments below. Um, and I'll talk to you soon. What's up everyone. Welcome to the business school for the rehab chiropractor class is officially in session. My name is Justin Rabinowitz, and I am a rehab chiropractor on a mission to teach you, a fellow rehab chiropractor, the exact tools and systems I've used to build my own successful rehab chiropractic practice so you can do the same. I hope you enjoy, and please subscribe. All right, well, we have a good thing going with the podcast, but I'm afraid of this one because no one likes talking about money, but that's why you're here. Um, (laughs) That's actually, and, and in all seriousness, 
this is something that I've always really wanted to do on the podcast within my own team and organization, something that I preach in my coaching. There's a lot of rehab chiros and doctors in general, which to my dismay, they just are afraid of numbers. They don't like money and they think their business and personal life are separate. And what I try to coach my team and my mentorship clients on is that it all sort of works together. You can't have one without the other. And so I'm honored to have you here, especially with your background as a PT and then in the financial services industry. So you understand us. So you totally understand us. There's probably nobody more qualified to speak on this than you. So uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, man, I appreciate the, uh, the invitation to talk to your audience. Excellent. So let's get right into it, right? We have, I am doing a student mentorship program. This is our second iteration is coming up November 1st. And the question I get all the time is, hey, I'm graduating school in December. I'm thinking about uh, when I graduate, what the heck do I do with my student loans? And the answer that I had for them when they asked me the question last time is, I don't know, this isn't what I do. This is what you do. So let's, let's go at it. Uh, yeah, I think, <clears throat> no, and I'm glad that you're talking about it because I think it's important. One of the things that, that I've thought about a lot over the years, I kind of think I simplify things down into metaphor and story in my own head to kind of help the dialogue keep going. And so one of the things that I see when I meet people similar to the situation that you are is that they get nervous and apprehensive to get into their business or go after what they really want to do because of debt. In the comparison that I think about, have you ever heard of slacklining? Uh, yes, but not. I'm not a slackliner. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so like with slacklining, um, you know, it, it's at a height that it's set where if you fall off, it's not that big of a deal. Well, as time progresses, think of it as raising that attachment point to the ground. Or as you get older, as you bring on a mortgage, as you have kids, as, you, as, as life becomes more complicated and your responsibility more significant, that slack line, which is okay to fall from, becomes a tightrope. And there's a lot more at stake should you fall. So my recommendation to people who want to be entrepreneurial is step on the slack line and get comfortable because the same skills to operate two feet off the ground are the same skills required to operate 20 feet off the ground. Just the consequences a lot less. So it's like fail early, fail often, fail forward, meaning try and make effort. So coming back to your question as it relates to the student debt, they're so apprehensive because they're, well, I have this debt. Well, especially if it's federal debt, if you go to start a business, you send them a letter saying, hey, I don't have an income. Well, if your payment is based upon a percentage of your income and you have no income, what's your payment? Zero. Zero. You just solved that problem. Now, in the short term, you have no payment. You need to understand the consequence. And the consequence long term is you know, at least as it currently stands, the debt slowly grows because you're not paying interest and principal. But man, a successful business can generate you so much income that your debt, now your debt confusion, your student debt problem is no longer a problem. Now it's optional. How fast do you want to pay it off? What way do you want to pay it off? And it's just a lot less stress. So going back to it and simplifying it, the too long didn't read is I think you should, out of school, if you think you're going to start a practice or you want to get into mentorship, I think what you should do is um, go into an income-driven repayment plan, which if your debt is all federal, it's going to decrease it, number one. Number two, um, get after your business. Create a plan. Meet with a mentor like yourself. Strategize and attack. Got it. 
And now what if someone's graduating and they have to decide between income-based and different terms and they're maybe go work as an associate? Does it change? I would still say the same thing. I think as you're getting established and you're developing professional skill, I don't think you should put yourself in a position where you have a significant debt obligation, meaning payment obligation. So like you can get onto these income-driven repayment plans and what it does is it just creates a very low floor of what you have to pay. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a lot of stress off of you and you have less guilt and that pressure, which then the argument is, well, does the pressure, is the pressure going to motivate you to work harder? I don't know. It's individual. You and I have just seen clinically that in general, when people get overstressed, they fail. So I kind of like to just slowly add the stressors back in, if that makes sense. I get it. I mean, that does, that does make sense. So then I guess fast forward because what I've heard with income based is after a certain period of time, when it is forgiven after 25 years that you have to pay the difference in the amount forgiven in taxes. Is that true? Yeah. Great question. So as it currently stands, that's one of the things that's important to note as of the day that we're recording this, no official changes have happened to any of the income driven repayment plans. But as it currently stands and as it's written, any accumulated unpaid interest and principal that have accumulated over the 20 to 25 years, whatever repayment program you're on, whatever's left and gets wiped out, that's, think of that as the Department of Education says, hey, Justin, you did it. You made this minimum payment. You fulfilled your obligation. You're done on our end. Well, then what does the IRS do? They look at it and they might say, well, on your balance sheet to us, you just had $400,000 of debt wiped out. That's a taxable event because it's like you got paid 400 grand. And so it's good to know that. And it's good to bring that up and to be aware of that because you're giving yourself a 20, 25 year runway to save that money. You know, that might not be part of your savings plan right out of school, especially if you're an associate, but that might be something like very quickly you're like, I need to make more money because I need to start saving for this very deliberate goal in the future. So that's as things currently stand. Current administration and probably administrations to come are going to try to re-engineer certain elements of the income-driven repayment system to where you might not have that taxable event. Or if you do, it wouldn't be nearly as substantial as it currently is. Gotcha. And so as it currently stands, if I called you today and say, hey, what do I do? I've got, I'm doing well the business. I'm doing my income-based repayments. Um, do you suggest me take how, how a couple hundred dollars a month and put it into like an IRA account? Like, how do you even do that? Yeah. How do you save for that taxable event? Well, there are different vehicles that you can use just like modalities in a clinic to solve a problem. Traditionally, the advice would be, and I would agree with it, don't borrow against retirement specific accounts because there could be some taxable consequences related to it. Instead, that money can get placed in other interest bearing vehicles. And other vehicles could be a lot of different ways to invest. Um, some people are totally risk adverse and they just want to put it under a rock and just save the absolute dollar amount. Fine. Some people will put it into something called a brokerage account, which is a non retirement investment account or a non qualified account where you're able to grow money and access it without penalty because you've been paying taxes this whole way. And, and other people will use things like insurance vehicles where they'll grow cash within these permanent insurance policies, pull the cash out in 20, 25 years and not have the same tax penalties. Other people will use that money, buy a piece of real estate with the goal of selling that real estate in 20, 25 years. 
There's a lot of different ways to create the liquidity needed at that time. Um, the most important thing is, I think, to keep it on your radar and not just haphazardly go through life like, oh, yeah, this will go away, at least until the government says, hey, you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's a lot to think about with so many other issues happening in their lives or in our lives with opening a business and doing all the things necessary for that. And now you're trying to pay down loans and now you have to worry about this other thing of what happens in 25 years, which no one wants to think about until that happens. And then they really have to think about it. And so it's yeah, a good exactly. thing to talk about, right? No, I think it is. And it's, um, it's just like in rehab scene, you know, it's never one repetition that returns somebody to sport. It's a series of repetitions. And so just being aware of it and using it in conversation. And I actually think it's a nice question when you're looking for a financial professional to work with. If that's something that like, hey, how would you advise that I service my debt? How do, you, how do you think I should plan for this? And if they don't have good answers, I think that's a great flag of like, you say you work with medical professionals. It's very apparent to me that you do not because this is something we, we deal with. Yeah. For sure. So let's let's go one step further now and talk about investing. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I like the thing I preach in my mastermind group is always think one to two steps ahead of where you currently are, because I think so many people, you know, they get off, they get their business going, they get it off the ground, and they just can't see the next day. Just get it, really, just get to the next day. Mm-hmm. And I always want to sort of let them see. All right, but let's assume that this does work. Now what? And so let's assume that your business is doing well and it is working and you are able to pay your bills and, and pay your, your debt and all of that. And now you have a little bit of extra money. The, the problem that I've seen among entrepreneurs is something that I think about all the time is taking you know mom and dad's advice who worked in corporate America for 30 years on as much as you can into retirement and do all of that, which is something that I did seven or eight years ago until I sort of understand it. Um, the idea of, okay, I have money and where am I going to invest? Now, you know me because you've seen my stuff, like invest in yourself, invest in your business, invest in business skills, invest in business growth. But I always, the caveat I always put in there is I also put into retirement vehicles, but figuring out how much, where, and what is always a challenge. So what do you think about that? Yeah. So I think, I think the big thing is, uh, is, is having the conversations kind of like what you're talking about, thinking one to two, one to two steps ahead. I think the example in this as it relates to finances, if you're in a relationship, talk and develop those conversations with your spouse or your partner, figure out what, what is it that you value and are your values in alignment? Because if they are, then that gets you one step closer to maybe where the next dollar should go. Um, so I think that's an important conversation to have. I think the other thing is to figure out um, is invest in yourself and your business until you're creating I think the financial stability you want, and then also you're creating the income that you want because sometimes the plans and the things we decide when we're, when we're not as cash flow positive as we would like to be puts us in situations where maybe we do something compromising or maybe even this, maybe it's like wasted reps. Right. You know, there's sometimes when you see people exercising in the gym and that person's been lifting the same weight for years and is it better than doing nothing? Sure. Not going to argue that, but at the same time, is it purposeful? And I think when it comes to the retirement and contributing to it, speaking of corporate America, one of the things that I see with young entrepreneurs, especially healthcare entrepreneurs, is they do feel the guilt of not contributing regularly and substantially to 401ks and IRAs and 
you know, they go hang out with their friends and their friends are talking about what the markets are doing to their retirement accounts. And they're like, well, I just invested 12 grand in a mastermind, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, and they feel bad and they feel that guilt. But going into that, and like what you said, if you're starting to see those successes, I think auditing the tools and what's available to you, you know, are you in a situation, are you an associate and do you have retirement plans open to you? They're great. Understand the mechanics of those plans, understand and figure out what's my cash flow like, because ideally it would be hitting a certain savings amount ongoing, developing that habit and baseline. So as your income increases, this ratio stays the same and you're always saving at the level where you're succeeding. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it goes into the next question, which I think most, I think just in general, people that have jobs or entrepreneurs, but um, I think the, the thing for me that I just see most of the time is the way to create wealth in any capacity. I always say wealth is a ratio. It's just like you could be wealthy and not make that much money because you don't spend that much money. Um, but the problem that I see with most people and it, it affects business owners even more is as soon as this lifestyle creep, as soon as they make more, they spend more, they make more, they spend more and they never have any spread. So maybe for the extra thousand a month, they got a nicer house or they got a better car or they, the kid went to camp or whatever. But at the end of the day, net, net, they're left with the same amount. And so how do you, you know, counsel people or think about like, actually, here's the question. Cause I go through this all the time. I'm very like, I would say disciplined. I'm very patient, but there's always in the back of my head of like, all right, at some point we've got to like do something here, but it's, and when do you know, how do you guide people in that? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> so how I've seen it, at least more specifically over the last couple of years is, well, I see it in a couple of ways. I'm trying to think there's a couple of answers that I have. The one that I see is that if I know people are on, on track, so one of the goals of financial independence is to, is to accumulate assets to replicate your lifestyle with, without effort in the future. You know, it's kind of a wordy way to say that. And so my thought is when you're talking about expanding and growing your lifestyle, figure out what's the minimal base that you want, be on track for those things, automate that front end, you know, in some way or capacity, or make sure that you're making significant progress to those. So then, you know, whatever shows up in your account, that's extra outside of that, you can do whatever the hell you want with it. Like, and the reason why I like kind of paused for a second is, I was thinking of some specific examples where I had a clinic owner. Now this person is in the dental field and they came and they, they were there with their wife and they're talking and they're always uh, save first and worry about fun and all the other stuff later. And then they're in a situation where they propose some things and say, well, you're hundred percent on track to replicate X number of dollars a month when you're 55, you're already on track for that. And anything you've proposed to me isn't going to challenge that. So then do whatever the hell you want with the rest. Yeah. And, and sometimes what happens when people give themselves permission to go and do some things, especially if it's experiential or it's related to like housing improvements, it gives them a, de- a, a degree of satisfaction to where now you've kind of scratched that itch and then they're ready to get back after it and push to the next level. Sometimes if they're too restrictive, it creates almost a resentment for the effort. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100% yeah. because it's something, you know, personally, my wife and I have conversations about all the time you know, me being the entrepreneur, it's like, all right, we wait, we're almost there and all that. And I always, I'm guarding against that, right. Of like the resentment that she's like, all right, but when, you know, she sees it and she's, she's, she gets it, but you know, she's human. Right. And I understand it too. Dive a little deeper into you said, cause I think this is an important point that a lot of people don't necessarily understand 
the accumulating assets to, I believe you use the term like replicating lifestyle. And so, you know, somebody came to me once and said, yeah, their goal, they, they did some mastermind program. The goal is to get the practice to a million bucks, sell it and live off of that. And I said, well, are they okay with living off of 40 grand a year? And the guy was like, what do you mean? And they didn't understand that. So talk about when you say that you need to accumulate assets to replicate your lifestyle. What does that actually mean? Yeah. So what it comes down to is things come down to cash flow. What, 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 what kind of income can your assets turn off or spin off? And so like the equation that you used just really roughly was that 4% rule. Hey, you got a million bucks. What, what can we pull out of that? If we invested it, what could we pull out of that without depleting it? And you're right, the math runs about 40, 40 grand. But then what is it factoring in? Do you have bigger trips that you want to go on? Do you have bigger experiences? Do you have legacy goals? Are you going to have grandchildren? Are you going to want to pay for their education? Are you, are you set up for um, a health event? You know, one of the things that statistically depletes people's assets the quickest are unaccounted for health events. Like, so you just have to start thinking differently. So when I was talking about the assets, yeah, growing a practice to a million bucks is great. But then it's like, well, it's up to a million. What else could we do with it? I almost think of that asset of a business when you're at that kind of point as how else can I leverage that, right? Can you then partner with somebody? Can you then bring people on? Can you create more scale? And so you're right. Traditionally, people would sprint to a single number, but think about it in other ways. So, cool, the practice is up to a million bucks. Now is that enough cash flow to where I can pay for it? Well, then what, can we go start acquiring real estate with some of this extra money that we don't need? Do we start, you know, are we maxing out the accounts that are important to us? I think a lot of it is spending time worried less about the specific number and more about what you're trying to create for yourself and then reverse engineering it because then you can start attaching numbers to it. Because that million bucks that you talked about, Justin, if somebody says that and then you and I are sitting there talking to them for whatever reason, we're in some sort of a mastermind interview, like, well, that's great. You want to do that. But do you want to own another property? Do you want a vacation house? How the hell are you going to support yourself and have this other property? And do the, like immediately the plan blows up when you go after that type of a number. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, most of my clients are getting started or still in that growth phase or really trying to grow, grow, grow. You know, maybe they're doing 250, 300, $350,000 in revenue. Some are just getting started below that, but I have a few that are higher than that. So I have one specifically who's doing like a PT chiropractic, oh, like 1.2 million in revenue. It's a great, it's a good business. It's a great business. And I just had a call with him today and you know, we were talking about like, what now? Like, what do I do? And I said to him, I was like, listen, you're in a position now where I think you have two things to factor in. Number one, the next growth move is what you like to do and what's going to create the most cash income for you, right? Investment wise, essentially. And mm-hmm. so, because the decision was, do I open up a second location? Do I expand the current location? Do I go and invest in real estate? And I said, you've, you've kind of given yourself the chance you've given yourself the freedom to sort of make that choice of where it goes. And I think the term that I heard once that I really do like, and I try to get people thinking more globally with it is the term of like Justin Inc. Will Inc. Like it's not Justin the Cairo, right? It's not Will the financial services guy. It's like Justin as a corporation, what's best for that, right? That might mean real estate portfolio. That might mean multiple practices. That might mean expanding the one that we're in. It might mean the stock market, but which one is going to give us the best return and to give us the lifestyle that we want? Yeah. And then it's not always, yeah. And then you're right. And what you were kind of hinting around is another 
term that I hear people talk about, which is uh, we talk about ROI, return on investment. The other thing that once you're starting to see success, that's worth considering that a lot of people don't get into the position to, but successful business owners do is return on hassle. Like, cool. If these things are able to return us and we're able to achieve all our financial goals, which one is actually going to become a hassle? So like, I know some people, I remember talking to this guy, he runs, um, it's kind of landscaping and pest control. It's a massive business. And I remember sitting in a meeting with him and this money manager and hearing him talk. And the guy says, Hey, you're nice enough. I really appreciate the time. You seem smart. Nothing you've said has given me more confidence in you than confidence in myself. I know almost to the day, or if I took the same money that I put with you, if I put it into my business, I know almost to the day when I'm going to get a 20% return. And if I asked you when I'm going to get a 20% return from you, you can't tell me. He goes, so that stresses me out. So I'm going to choose to invest in this business. Other people don't want to be in the business anymore when they get to that point. And they say, please take care of this for me. So that's where having these conversations and getting to know yourself, which is why doing the types of things that you're doing, coaching people to grow their base will allow them to make more specific and directed decisions. Because I think it's easy in traditional advice, advice to say, max out your 401k, max out you know, your simple IRA, max out you know, whatever plans that you put in. But like, is that solving, is that answering the question? Because going back to Justin Inc., which I really like, is more of like, what, what do I actually want to be? Yeah. Not what do I want, you know? Yeah, and I like the idea of that too in, in terms of thinking more broadly. You know, as business owners, there's a lot that sucks. But one of the nice things is that the possibilities truly are endless. Like there isn't just a 401k plan and that's your retirement. And that's always the thing that's excited me. And it sounds like, um, you know, you're you're in that same boat. So let me ask you this. You, you deal with, I think you have the benefit of dealing with many different professionals um, similar to me in my world where I get, I can sort of pick and choose so much advice because I see so much of it. What are three mistakes that you see from people in healthcare with their finances? I think one is not establishing a line of credit for their business soon enough. They're so, uh, they've been taught to be so debt averse that they create bottlenecks in their growth by not figuring out how to create available cash quickly even if they don't necessarily have the liquidity. I think that's one thing that I see because they just don't know how to use the instrument. Um, I think number two is they're too quick to give away equity. I see very quickly they're trying to identify something like, I want to make this person my, my business partner. You just got to remember the second you give equity to somebody else, they now benefit off of everything they help with and everything that you did before. And getting rid of them if you go different directions is problem problematic. Number three, I think owners don't pay attention to the operating agreements and also they don't play out in their minds what happens if something happens, meaning like um, what happens if you're not there Then what happens to your family? They don't create the, the, they don't solve for the what ifs, the GoFundMe events, if you will, um, because they're so worried about, well, now I need to start investing. I mean, if you grow a big enough pot of money, you can do whatever the hell you want with it. But if something happens and you can't work or you die prematurely, then what happens to the other people you care for? Yeah. 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 I, I like it. Um, 
regarding the partners, because I have I have partners in the business and sort of the different some of the different entities. And one of the things I caution specifically new grads with is they a lot. Oh, I'm going to partner with my friend. And the thing that I tell them with partners is like, listen, man, a partnership has to work with two people that are usually opposing skill sets. So both of you are graduating, have never owned a business, don't know how to treat patients, and are, and just getting going with it. So neither of you have any skill set. And when we're going to partner, because we're scared, and being scared is not a good reason to partner. Like you have to bring something to the table. And and I think, and again, I'm just getting into it as well. Like I'm I'm sort of green in that way too. But even quickly, I could see the partners have to. So my partners that I bring in are typically ones that are really good practitioners that want to run their practice, that want to own a business, but potentially don't want to build the backend infrastructure, hiring all the BS that I, that I'm good at, so to speak. And so the partnerships generally work, but if I wanted to treat patients all day and they want to treat patients all day, the partnership is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly right. You're talking about the organization chart, yep. being able to figure out and to delegate and to make sure that those, because like you said, you know, you need certain things to have a successful business. And you need strong check marks in all those boxes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the partnership thing, yeah, can get hairy. I think, like I said, people mostly do it out of fear. And it's, it's just a great scared. perspective. It's just, it's just, they're scared to do it on their own. And, and, and it's one of those things where it's like in a relationship, sometimes it's better to be apart to see if you're good to come back together. People that are, I've had this conversation with two individuals. I remember they were still in school, very motivated, great people. And they're like, oh, we're going to partner. And I was like, you know what, why don't you work separately for about 18 months? And then if at that point you're still like, yeah, let's do this, then maybe we'll, we'll figure it out. But to today, I, I, would, I would venture. And again, that's the thing too. And just going into the weeds a little bit, if you want to share an office and like split rent, fine. But like, let's not get married yet. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it's, uh, yeah, date a little bit before you enter into marriage, which is ultimately what it is when you going to business with somebody. For sure. Absolutely. All right. So then we covered the student loans. We covered investing. Um, we covered a little bit about partnerships, biggest mistakes. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you need to shout from the rooftops for, for uh, Cairo's healthcare practitioners, either in practice students or whatever? Yeah. I think the big thing is with, with um, is continue to work with good mentors. I think is critical. I think being, getting comfortable and having a good student loan plan. I know we covered it and so I won't go into any more details, but have something that you can explain to other people because if you're able to explain it to other people, it means you understand it yourself. So I think that's important. I think making sure and working on developing open lines of communication with your partner or spouse or whoever in that situation, who's helping you with money decisions because um, you don't know if they're sitting on their fears and they're not sharing it with you. And the help from home of a supportive partner can make all the difference in the business. And, you know, even in that, and then I say, making sure that you're reviewing that you've got the right legal work in place because nothing holds up a business quicker than a little bit of litigation that you have to deal with. Right. So just to last, what, when you say legal work, give us, give us some thoughts on like what, where do they need to go? What do they need to do? I think, I think making sure that you have an operating agreement in place. I think, at least having written out like a process of, hey, somebody shows up and sues us for X. All right, what's our first recourse? What's the process? Who do we contact? What insurances do we have? Who like, I think just we're just kind of game planning through some of those basic things. So you basically have your own operating manual as an owner for should those problems arise. Got it. I, I just think it's just helpful because like you've seen it when people get really stressed out, 
they don't, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your systems. So if you don't have a system in place for that, it gets problematic. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, all right, let's end the podcast on a positive note since we're talking about getting sued. Give us, give us, give us a bright outlook on the economy or like what you see. <laughs> what I'll say is that rain or shine, a good clinician can grow a business that will sustain anybody and everybody they care for without question. And the beauty of that, it doesn't matter whether stocks are up, whether stocks are down, people will end up in pain and they need somebody who can provide a solution. And if you're able to put together systems and processes to be able to do that for people and repeat that year over year, you're not going to have to worry about cash. It's just going to be awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I think it's great advice. And we saw it during 2020, a lot of private equity was coming in for healthcare because how stable it was. So you saw that probably just like everyone else did. Um, Will, tell people where they can find you, where to follow you, how to reach out to you. Um, If if anybody wants to chat, you can just go to financialphysio.com and that'll just get you on my call calendar. And then we can real-time dialogue. And then I'll just give you some contact information that you could, you can attach to the episode. Yep. But that's probably the easiest way. Or just um, tap me on social media and I'll give you those handles. What's your Instagram? Just so that, and I'll put in the handle, but just tell everyone what that um, is. I think I have financial physio. I never use it for like, I don't put content on there. Yep, yep, if it. people prefer to do social media, that wouldn't be a bad way to do it. Got it. Yeah, we have a lot of Instagrammers on in our crowd. So, well, this was good. And, and I think, like I said, for the most part, people, the things they hate the most, they don't talk about. And finances is for sure one of them. So I'm happy to bring this to our audience. Even if they hate it, they need to listen to it. So um, I appreciate you being here. And I know our audience will get a lot of value out of it. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you for free. One, grab a copy of my free guide, The Rehab Chiropractor's Checklist. You can get that at go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. That's go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. Two, go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram at Justin Rabinowitz, where I post business content. Three, subscribe to my weekly newsletter by sending me an email at coaching at strive to move.com. And four, Leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential people and bring those lessons back to you.